Okay, so the question is, are you patient? Are you patient? Don't you love these sermons? You're like, oh my gosh, now I've got to sit here for another half hour and listen to my, my weaknesses. Are you patient? Because 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, love is patient, love is kind. It, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. We're going to focus on the first part of that this morning. Love is patient, love is kind. This morning, as we continue our, our series, 40 Days of Love, we are going to learn um, how to really um, how to impact people's lives with patience and with kindness. How do we how do we uh, how do we learn the lessons that God wants to teach us? How do we overcome the struggles that we're facing in this area of our lives? And I I think if we were all honest, that we would say this is something this is an area of our lives that we really need to work on. Patience is one of those areas of our lives that everyone needs to work on. The Bible tells us so. Love is patient. Patient is one of those those characteristics that whether you're older or you're younger, um, that you look at other people who are patient and say, gosh, I wish I could be more like them. I wish I could grow in my faith to the point where I could exhibit more patience in, in my life to the people around me. So what is patience? Well, well Webster says it's, it's bearing pains or trials calmly or without complaint. It also says being steadfast despite opposition, difficulty, or adversity. Patience is stronger in those who have the right attitude, who have, who have, a, have really controlled their attitude. They, they see life and they see people from an eternal perspective. They're able to step step back because, you know, there's where we lose it sometimes in our patience. We look at it from a temporal perspective, what's happening right now, right in front of us, and we react to that. And people who are patient see life differently. They see it from an eternal perspective. They see others through the eyes of love. They're able to just take that deep breath and see others through the eyes of love. They see the positive in the midst of all the negative circumstances and the events that surround them. Somehow, somehow, in some way, people who are patient can even see the positive in the negative things that, that are all around their lives, that are, that are permeating their lives. And, and you know, as we, as we get older, um, if we're smart... We find people who are patient and we try to mimic them. They have somehow become more like Christ in that area. And if you truly want to grow, find people who are patient. Find people who are kind. Spend time with them. Watch them interact. Even ask them questions. How are you so patient in that situation? Because what did Paul say? Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so what we need to do is find people who are following the example of Christ when it comes to being patient and, and, just, and just try to mimic, try to mimic their behavior, try to mimic them. So the question is, how do we, how do we have more patience? And how do we have the right attitude? Because patience is really about having the right attitude in our hearts with the people who are causing us problems and stress. 
if you've lived more than a couple of years, okay, you are going to have people around you that will cause you problems, that will cause you stress. Even the people you love sometimes cause you stress, the people in your family because of their behavior. So how do we become more patient with those types of people and those types of problems? Well, let me give you a a few ways that we can do that. First, you allow God to do his work in your life. You allow God to do his work in your life. Let him develop you into a more patient and loving person. Now, I'm going to explain something to you that's going to be, some, for some of you, hard to understand and even harder to apply in your Christian walk. It's, it's just, this is hard to understand. It's not really hard to understand. It's more hard to apply. Uh, but I'm telling you, it works. You need to ask God to provide you opportunities to grow in this area. Don't you hate when people do that? Okay. You need, don't pray, oh God in heaven, please uh, take away any issues in my life that would cause me to be impatient. Okay. You really, if you honestly want to grow in this area, I learned this years and years ago. You have to ask God to put you in situations that will make you impatient. Okay. Because if he doesn't and you don't, then you're never going to grow in this area. Ask God to bring circumstances into your life to teach you how to become more patient, to teach you how to rely. Because in order, especially in the beginning, and all through your life, but especially in the beginning, if you're going to become more patient, you need to learn. He needs to teach you how to rely on him and to how to be like him when it comes to patience. So you need to ask him. You need to ask him, God, put me in circumstances, put me in situations where you're going to teach me how to be more patient, how to rely on you when those, when those circumstances come, when those situations come, so that I can learn to be more like you in this area of love. Love needs to be tested, okay, honestly, it needs to be tested in order for it to be real. Your love, if you say, oh, I'm a very loving person, your love needs to be tested in order for it to be real. In Romans 8, 28, it says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. That what they're saying is no matter what circumstances God allows in our lives, no matter what comes and what circumstances and difficulties we face, no matter how challenging the trials, how, how large the storms, if you will, that we're facing, God can use those circumstances to bring good into our lives, especially when it comes to patience. Okay, so when God may not even bring these things into your life, it just may, you know, we live in a fallen world and we're surrounded by sinful people and fallen people and we're going to face adversity. We're going to face trials. We're going to face difficulties. We're going to face all these things. But this, what the Bible is saying is that even in those difficulties, even in those trials, even things that are coming into your life that are not good, God can turn them into something good. He, He can mold you and make you to become more like him in the process. So you're going to go through a process. You say, Lord, help me to become more patient. He's going to mold you and make you more into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ, through that process. You're going to become a more patient, more loving person. Next, so you got to, first, first God does his part. Then next, you need to do your part. 
Every, we did, we, all of us need to do our part. When we're faced with those trials, when we're faced with those tests, we need to pass, right? So here's what you do. You pray in the morning, God, help me to be, put, put circumstances in my life and situations and people in my life that will cause me to become impatient so I don't. All right. the, normally I would be impatient. Normally I would react to that with anger. But well, Lord, you say it in the morning. Put those circumstances in my life, okay? Because when they come, then you pass the test. Someone does something. People know where, where they can poke you and prod you and annoy you to get you to react. Sometimes they do it unintentionally and sometimes they do it intentionally. But in this situation, it doesn't really matter. Because when it comes, you're thinking to yourself, this, this is it. This is this is. God's in rejoice, right? Praise, right? Like Jen was saying, praise because God has answered your prayer, right? You're not, you're not smiling. God has answered your prayer. So the first thing you do is praise him. And the next thing you do is you don't fall into the trap. You don't react the same way you always do. And that will build character and that will help you grow to become more like him. You will have passed that particular test. We need to see our trials and our storms through the eyes of faith. We need to see it through different lenses. We need to see it through the eyes of faith and trust that God is working through us to make us better people. So when you're going through the storm, when you're going that when your sister or your brother really starts to get on your nerves, okay? You use it as an opportunity not to respond the way you normally do. That's called love. Love is patient, love is kind. Love is patient. You want to be more loving? You need to become more patient. Now, there are three steps that we can take to help us to respond to, to every circumstance with patience. Now, there's more, but I'm going to just hit three very quickly. Number one, you need to remember to major on the majors. Don't major on the minors. So many people major on the minors. They, they, everything, everything becomes a, such a big deal in their lives, and it's stressing you out. Now, there are certain things that you need to deal with. Those are major things. But you can't turn a minor thing into a major thing. You can't turn a a molehill into a mountain every single time something happens. So you need to remember to major on the majors. and, And honestly, basically, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. See life through God's eyes. Seek God's wisdom. Hear me out. Seek when you're in that situation. Try to stop. Try to gather your thoughts. Seek God's wisdom when faced with life's challenging issues. In Proverbs chapter 19, in verse 11, I love it. It says this. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. So just have that song ringing in your head when it happens to you. Let it go, let it go, right? (laughs) Let it go. Don't sweat the small stuff. Don't react. Don't get so overwhelmed and stressed, okay, over the little things because you, you won't live that long, my friends, if you do. It's constantly coming at you from every, every side. Major on the majors. Number two, deepen your love. Deepen your love. Love is a patience builder. Hear me out on this one. Love is a patience builder. When you're filled with love, you say, how do I, how do I become more patient? You become more loving. When you're filled with love, almost nothing, almost nothing will irritate you. When you are filled up with love, almost nothing, okay, the majors may still irritate you. 
But almost nothing will really irritate you to the point where it's going to get you to react the way you don't want to react. So, so, so that's important. But here's the thing. Anger, on the other hand, if you're, if you're angry, anger, anger almost always gets you irritated. Almost anything, when you're angry, almost anything can irritate you. When you are filled with love, almost nothing can really irritate you. But when you're angry, when you live, and you're kind of, if that's your, if that's your foundation, when you're angry, almost anything can irritate you. I would say that our country is angry. The United States of America is an angry country. I don't mean toward our enemies. I mean right here, baby. Right in our own country, person to person. We are an angry, angry country. We are irritated by everything, right? But a person, a person can't even slip up or say anything, whether it's whatever side, you know, people fall, the liberals and the conservatives and the Democrats and the Republicans and blah, 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 and just going to break it down. But it's, we, are so, we are so angry as a country. We are, we are, we are, we are, we, we, we are so filled with hatred right now. It's almost overwhelming, and we're irritated by everything. Nothing. You're, the people are looking for opportunities to get the other person. Us and them, right? It's us and them. Every opportunity we get, we're going to get them. Let me explain something. In God's eyes, impatience says more about you than it does the other person. Hate says more about you than it does the other person. I said last week, love is a verb. You know what else is a verb? Hate. Love is a verb. Hate is a verb. In the, in the right context. We, we, need to, we need to love each other. Impatience and anger says more about you than it does about the other person. We need to learn to love like Jesus loved. That's what it boils down to. Here's the, here's the reality. In this world filled with so much hate, honestly, we need to be sanctified, my friends. Christians need to be sanctified in this area. What does sanctified mean? Sanctified is a big word. What it means to be set apart for God's use, to be righteous, to be set apart for God's use. We need to be sanctified in this area, set apart. Christians should never, okay, have an us and them mentality when it comes to loving others. We cannot get caught up in this us and them mentality, whether it's men against women or this race against that race or this group against that group or this political party against that. We cannot get caught up in this. I know, and hey, we all do at different levels at different times. But this is not what God desires. This is not God's desire for his, the, his followers, we, need, we cannot get into the mentality. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, we follow Jesus Christ. He is the one who sets our behavior. He is the one we're supposed to be like. Not some political party, not some cultural agenda. We follow God, first and foremost. And that's something we all, all of us need to work on. And you need to think about the next time you're watching your favorite news show or whatever else or your favorite talk show or whatever else. You cannot get caught up in their words of hatred. I don't care what side you're talking about. We need to love each other. We need to love like Christ loved. Number three, we need to draw on the power of Jesus. How are we going to do this? So easy for me to get up here and say, you know, you've got to love that. If you're a, if you're a Democrat, you've got to love that Republican. If you're a conservative, you've got to love that liberal. If you're this, you, if you're this race, you've got to love that. It's easy to do, but how do we do it? And, and what it says here in number three is we need to draw on the power of Jesus Christ. 
This is being shoved down our throat. We're being sucked into this. This is the only way to love the way Jesus loved. This is the only way to respond to every circumstance with patience. We're not going to be able to respond to every circumstance that we face and every word that's said or everything that comes at us with patience if we're not drawing on the power of God. It's not, going to, it's not just going to come from in, inside of you unless it comes from inside of you because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Unless it's coming from the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for you to overcome all. And, and here's something else. For practically, loving people is so much less stressful than hating them. It, is so, it, it will take off so much stress from your life if you live out Christ, if you live out Christ-likeness in this area. So patience is a choice to love someone in spite of the circumstances. Hear me? It's loving someone in spite of the circumstances to endure or to persevere through trying times. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, you see, Pastor, you know, what I'm, what I'm hearing you say a little bit here is that I, it sounds like you want me to be a doormat. Well, this person's going to say something to me. I'm not just going to be a doormat, okay? I've I got to be able to respond. If they're going to say it to me, I'm going to give it back to them because if you live in the world that I live in and blah, 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 so you want me to be a doormat or, 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 or take a beating or, or basically accept my circumstances. That, all right. So you may be thinking that. Let me share a couple of things very quickly with you. Number one, anger is not the key to any door. Anger is not the key to any door. It will get you nowhere. All right? You don't win when there's two when you're angry and you're bitter and you're that is the key to that that's not open any that is not the key that opens any door. And listen to me. Patience is not about avoiding what needs to be said. Don't misunderstand me. Patience is not about avoiding, well, I'm just going to let that go. I'm just going to let that go. I'm going to let that go. I'm going to let that go. I'm just going to let that go. I'm just going to let that go. Patience is not about avoiding what needs to be said. It's about waiting for the right moment to say it. Hear me? It's not about avoiding what needs to be said. It's about waiting for the right moment to say it. And that's not when you're like, right? How many of us react with our emotions to what someone says to us, and then we're in a fight for, could be in a fight forever. You've broken relationships. You never want to see that person again. You haven't talked to your whoever in 20 years, probably because they said something in anger or did something in anger that severed that relationship. How many times do we have to go back and apologize to our husband, to our wife, to our kids, to our parents, whatever, because we were angry, we were impatient, and we lashed out and said, I hate you. You don't hate them. If you just wait, I know this is hard, and then sit down and said, the reason I was so angry is because you said, and it made me feel this. But you wait for the right moment to say it. 1 Corinthians 13.4 also says that love is kind. It talks, about, it talks about kindness. So what is kindness? Well, if patience is really about the attitude, having the right attitude, kindness is basically, is basically an action. It's, it's, having the, it's, it's, it's about action. It's about living it out in our lives in very 
hands-on, practical, tangible ways. It's about, about putting feet to our faith, putting hands to our love. Okay, it's really, it's really doing, doing it that way. One of the best places that we can learn about kindness is when Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So if you will, look at Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 30. As we look at this passage, there are going to be four lessons that we can learn about kindness. So Luke 10, 30 through 33, it says this. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him for dead. A priest, okay, a priest, happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. First lesson, we need to be able to see the needs all around us. If we're going to love people, love is patient, love is kind, kindness sees the needs that are all around them. Jesus tells us that the priest and the Levite were walking down the road. They saw this guy, and they passed by on the other side. They just kept going. They, they, they knew he was there. Okay, they saw him, and they passed by on the other side. But the Samaritan, the Samaritan saw the man, and he responded. He recognized the need. He saw it, he recognized the need, and he responded to the need. So we need first to use our eyes, and we need to see. Kindness, kindness begins with the eyes. Look around, take the time to look around you. How often do we see someone in need and be like, I don't have time for this. And you, you don't, you may glance, but you don't look. You don't, honestly, you look, but you don't see. You're not truly seen. You're not responding. So we need to respond. Kindness begins with the eyes. Kindness means being sensitive to another person's needs. It, it means responding to that person's needs, showing in practical ways that Jesus loves them. The second lesson that we need to learn here is that we need to sympathize. So first we need to see the need, then we need to sympathize with their pain. We need to sympathize, or if you can, honestly, you need to empathize. If you've been through that, you need to engage. Jesus Christ is not an outside observer of our pain. He is a participant with us in our pain. We need to enter into those, the people who are going through what they're going through. We need to enter into their pain. When he, when he saw the man's need, Jesus says that the good Samaritan, he took pity on him. He had compassion for that other person. He entered into what they were going through. He, he, he saw the need and he listened to that person's heart. He entered into, that is so, let me tell you, after 35-ish years of being a pastor, some weeks are, this week we, and you guys can pray for him, Fred, and pray, pray for Fred's family. Fred is the, was the head of our, our chicken farm in Nigeria where you guys had put a light of buying refrigerator. He died this week. He had a, he just turned 40 and he died. He had a stroke and he died. And he left a four-year-old, a six-year-old and his wife and his family. You go through certain weeks and you, you can try to keep yourself distanced from people's pain, but 
in my, in my position, not just because I'm a pastor, just this is the right thing to do as a Christian, you need to enter into that person's suffering. You need to be thinking about his wife. You need to think about his, how his children, like how, how would you feel? Like how, how, how do you think they're feeling? See, when you, I just think about it now, I start getting teared up because when you say, oh, he died, that's a shame. Glad it wasn't me or, you know, gosh, that must be horrible. But close your eyes and enter into the person's suffering and you will pray in a completely different way. You will show kindness in a completely different way because you're not an outside observer now of their pain. You're participating with them in their pain. So his heart was, was, was filled with pity. We need to genuinely, if we're going to show kindness, we need to genuinely, my friends, genuinely um, listen to people, not just pretend to be polite. And I've used this analogy before, and I won't go into it now, but we, you know, sometimes, and I'm not knocking this. I know it's culture, and it's not a bad thing. We say, I say, how are you? And you say, fine, right? I asked you how you were. I'm fine. Once in a while, people start telling you how they are. And instead of just being polite, you need to listen. Uh, you need to listen because listening, this is why it's hard. Listening takes time. But how do you spell love? T-I-M-E. That's how you spell love. You need to listen. The, the, the Samaritan took time to listen. He took time to invest in that person's life. The priest and the Levite saw the man. They saw the man, but they didn't take the time to care for his needs. The Samaritan listened with his eyes and his heart and engaged and responded in love. We need to accept people. Here's the reality. Coming back to our country and, and, and all the di- divisiveness, and I'm, I shouldn't like this race of people because of this, and I shouldn't like women because I'm a man and I'm tall and they're short and I'm this and I'm, they're that and us and them. We need we need to we need to accept people and celebrate people for who they are because they're created in the image of God. You know what? Seriously, I don't have to agree with your lifestyle. I don't, have to agree, I don't have to agree with your political views. I don't have to agree with your theological views. I don't have to agree with what, you know, if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, I still love you. You know, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I see a hand go up. <laughs> right? I can still love you even though we may disagree on a lot of different issues. That's where we have to separate ourselves. Again, be set apart, be sanctified, be righteous in that area and love each other. Why, do we, why should we love each other? Why should you love someone who totally disagrees? Why should you love that Democrat? Why should you love the Republican? Why should you love the person who came? Blah, blah, whatever the case may be. Why? Because that person is created in the image of God that gives them value. They have value because they're created in the image of God, and your only response is to love that person. Do you have to agree with them all the time? No, but you should never hate them, and you should never react in anger. You should love that person. You will never win a person over with your sharp-sounding arguments. You may win them over with an expression of love and patience and kindness. That's what will win people over. The Samaritan could easily think about this real quick. The Samaritan could have easily walked by and avoided this guy. You know why? Because Samaritans, and I want you to do a study on this. We don't have time right now. I want you to do a study. 
Samaritans and Jews hated each other. Okay? This could be called the good North Korean. I'm not, I, I love North Korea. I, I have no issue with, like, uh, you know, whatever. I'm not getting into politics, but I don't hate North Koreans. But if you think about from a country standpoint, the Jews, the Israelites, hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Israelites. This good Samaritan, okay, this good Samaritan could have easily just said, why would I help this dude? I can't stand his guts. I hate this person. He didn't do that. The priest and the Levite were the, Levites, Levite was the one who walked away, but the good Samaritan stopped, even though the person he was helping him and was helping most likely hated his guts. Do you understand that? The good Samaritan, good person. The guy who was laying in the ditch, if he woke up and he didn't get knocked into a ditch and they walked by each other, the guy throwing in, lying in the ditch hated the guy who was helping him. And the guy knew that. And he helped him anyway. What is, what, that's what Jesus is talking about here. This is, what he, this is why he's telling this story. To help us to understand the reality of what we're dealing with here, it applies to 2018 as much as it applied 2,000 years ago. We are never going to get anywhere, never going to get anywhere if we have this us and them mentality, if we have this us and them attitude. Never. We, this country will not. Someone has got to step up and instead of reacting in hate or anger, react in love when they can't stand what the other person is saying. They, if we don't do that, we're toast. Just you understand that. It will not be another country who takes this country down militarily. Never. You know where it can crumble? You know where it can die? You know where the great experiment can end? Right here. We are, we, have, we are filled with so much hatred and so much anger. It needs to stop, and it needs to start somewhere. It ne- and it needs to start with us. It needs to start with those who are following Jesus Christ. Galatians 6.2 says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. By responding with love, the Samaritan was carrying this man's burdens. Then in verse 34 it says, He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Pastor David's going to come for a moment. He's going to share, okay, the third lesson. So I'm going to tell you a quick story just so you can acclimate your ear to my, my accent quickly. <laughs> so this morning it took me over half an hour to print out this document. Got to church a little bit earlier. You know, I'd been working on this the last three or four days, my part of the sermon, and uh, I needed to print it out. So I went to the office and I tried to open up the door and my key wouldn't go into the door. And I thought, the first thing that came to my mind, honestly, I've heard how Pastor Andy's a prankster, and I thought he had maybe changed the color tabs on my key to different <laughs> keys. That was the first thought that came to my mind. And then I realized this door, after I've gone through all of the keys, it's frozen shut. So I sat there for, I don't know, five minutes, hypothermia started setting in, trying to get in this, this key. Eventually got it in, and I realized then it wouldn't even turn. So in any case... I was outside the office against the window with my laptop trying to, send, trying to get Wi-Fi in the office <laughs> to send the sermon off my laptop to my cell phone so that I could at least have it on my cell phone. We managed to sort You're it out. We're not in South That's Africa it. anymore. Right. Yeah, we, don't, we don't have those problems in South Africa. Man. So, as Jeff said, the third lesson is to seize the moment. There was a, a Roman poet, Horace, that uh, there's, a, there's a very famous Latin saying, carpe diem, it means seize the day. 
And if you take that copper diem in its truest form and you translate it, it says to pluck the day. And when you look at that word pluck, it means to quickly remove something from its place. There's intentionality. There is, um, there's a force. You're focused on that thing and you grab it out the way. And so should it be when we have opportunities um, to, to help people, when we, seize an oppo- when we see an opportunity, not to let it pass us by, we do what we can in that moment, and we seize that opportunity, we pluck it. Um, you know, to be a kind of person like the Good Samaritan was, you must be willing to be interrupted. You know, Jeff, Jeff spoke last week, and he mentioned it again now. How is love spelt? It's T-I-M-E. And a couple of months ago, he also spoke about margin in your life. And in our culture, you know, we get so wrapped up in the busyness of life. I've read uh, an incredible book by a pastor by the name of Paul Tripp. And the book is called All, A-W-E. My wife said I must spell it out because the last sermon I was like, oh, oh. And she's like, people might think you're saying all. It's all. Um, so <laughs> I was, uh, you know, I've read this book and I try and read it. On, a, on an annual basis, I try and read this book, and I try and tell myself this every day. Lord, the things that I'm doing in my life right now, is it, is it in awe of you, or is it in awe of myself? Because I've noticed for myself, with my wicked heart, when I have a lot of awe on myself, I don't, the, the busyness of life starts to take me up. I don't have time, I don't have margin in my life. And I've realized when I start focusing on God, I tend to have a lot more margin in my life because the things of this world I start holding more loosely. My resources I hold more loosely. My time I hold more loosely. And I actually start looking for opportunities to, to, to seize those opportunities and to be used by God. If you take a look at this good Samaritan, um, you know, he, he goes out of his way and he quickly seizes that opportunity. And if we look at Christ, the lesson here is to be spontaneous. If you don't have that margin in your life, if your focus is on yourself, you're not going to see those opportunities because your day that you have planned so intently, your week, your month, your years, you're so focused on those plans that anything else that that stands to inhibit those plans because of your kingdom, um, it's going to make you angry. You're going to get frustrated with those things. The opportunities, the very opportunities and fruit that you have a chance to pluck, the things that God has put in your life to help you serve Him and yourself because you are rewarded for doing these things will frustrate you. Mm-hmm. All right? Um, we, if we look at uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 2, it says that the harvest is many and the workers are few. And I think that is so, so much linked to uh, you know, us being focused on ourselves in this day and age. And I'd really encourage you to, to focus on God. The hymn writer, um, how do you do that? How do you look at these opportunities? You know, the, the hymn writer says, cast your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And when you cast your eyes upon Jesus and you're intently focused on him, you, you start um, looking more to the needs of other people. It, this is a practical way to start 
being focused more on other people is to be focused more on God. And when we don't have enough time in our lives and we don't seize those opportunities, we miss opportunities to love others because we just don't have the time for them. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned the, the more you focus on God, the more you focus on people. I've seen for myself, when we start helping others through God's infinite wisdom and His mercy and His grace, we often start helping ourselves. Um, if you take a look at the Samaritan, he took a risk to the robbers might have laid a trap for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he took a risk. He got, he got off his donkey. He went and he helped that man and he didn't hold his life so, so tightly and he wasn't so focused on his own safety and so on. Um, he was prepared to sacrifice himself for the need of another person. I talk about how where I've seen for myself in my own life when I've reached out to help others, very often it helps you deal with the very things in your own life that you're struggling with. Uh, some of us have been wounded, church wounds, wounded by other people, and we don't, we don't want to help others because we're still battling with our own thing. And it takes risk, it takes vulnerability to reach out to others and to try and help them. And, and we don't, we don't want to be that exposed. But let me tell you, my experience the Lord, infinitely, through His infinite wisdom, gives you opportunities to start the healing process and to not be so focused on those things in your life by being there for, for other people. So it's just amazing how when you start honoring God, you really start helping yourself in, in many mm-hmm. ways. If you take a look at verse 34 and 35, it says, He went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra expense you may have. And then Jeff's going to finish up. Okay, our, our last lesson is that kindness comes with a cost. If you're going to show kindness, it comes with a cost. But here's the reality. True kindness is giving something and expecting nothing in return. Okay? Honestly, I, I, I want to encourage moms. I think moms do this very well. Okay? They show kindness to others and in many cases expect nothing in return. True kindness is giving to someone else and not expecting anything in return. This encounter, the Good Samaritan encounter, cost him. Okay? So he, was, he risked his life, if you will, not knowing if those bandits were still around, all right? For someone who, honestly, like I said before, probably hated his guts, Jesus, Jesus doesn't just tell stories for no reason, okay? He, this is an extreme here. person probably hated his guts. He risked his life for him, and then not only risking his life, but it cost him something. Jesus tells us that the Samaritan put the guy on his own donkey, took the time to put him on his own donkey, took him to an inn, gave the person two silver coins. Now, these two silver coins were worth, each coin is worth a day's wage. So it cost him his time. It cost him his resources. It cost a day's wage. When was the last time any one of us gave up two days' wages for someone that was not a part of our family, that we were not related to. There is a cost to kindness, whether it's your time, whether it's your talents, 
whether it's your treasure. There is a cost to kindness. But we need to offer up, if we're truly going to be kind, if we're going to be patient and kind and express that, then it's going to cost us something. That means we need to offer a part of ourselves. This morning, as we learn how to be more patient and how to be more kind, we need to ask ourselves a couple of questions. Number one, do I love my neighbor as myself? Philippians chapter 2 says, consider others better than yourself. Are we working toward that? We not, may not be there yet. Are we working toward that? Can, love my neighbor as myself. Do we love God with all of our heart and all our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength? And do we love with the right attitude and through our actions? As we close off here, I have some homework for you. Last week, it was to look someone in your family or someone really close to you, a friend, in the eye and listen to them. Just listen to them. Give them your time. Give them your heart. Give them your attention. Love them in that way. What I want you to do this week, and if you didn't do that last week, now you have two homework assignments. They're piling up on you here. Okay? What I want you to do this week is I want you to think of someone that you can find someone that you can, you can show in a very tangible and practical way that you can show kindness to, that you can show patience to, but specifically an action of kindness to someone. Some, think of a gift an act or a gift of love that will meet someone's needs and then engage them like, like, like Pastor Dave was just saying, right? Seize the moment. You see it, okay? Seize the moment. That means first, like we said, as I close off here, first we have to see the need, right? So you've got to be looking. That's part of your homework assignment, to look. See the need. And then sympathize with their pain, Think about what, why that person's feeling the way they're feeling. What are they going through? Sympathize and then see, don't wait, don't seize the moment. Take the opportunity, prepare to take the opportunity to invest in some tangible and practical way, showing that person kindness. Let's bow our heads. God, thank you for this time we can spend together. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord God, to teach us what it means to be patient, what teach us, to teach us what it means to be kind. And Lord, I pray that you would help us fulfill our homework assignment by putting someone in our lives that needs that kindness, whether it's at school, at work, at home, doesn't matter. Give us an opportunity to live out what we've learned in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. I love you and have a great day.